My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, my name's Taylor. I'm the youth pastor here at Sunrise Church. Um, enjoy it. I've been doing it for about 10 months now, and it's been super exciting. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Pastor James is on sabbatical um, for the next couple weeks, six weeks or so. And so you can just be praying for him. It's a great time for him to get away with his family, spend time with them, for God to reveal new things to him in this season as he rests and trusts in the fact that um, we're not going to mess this place up. So... <laughs> too bad. <laughs> so just be praying for him. Pray for that time with this family. It's, a, it's an important season. It's as our leader, as God has gifted him in so many incredible ways, we want to we be lifting him up to God. So just join us in that as a church um, and as a staff. So uh, like I said, the youth pastor, uh, super exciting. Love the season I'm in. Love what I get to do. But more importantly than that, um, I honestly just get to be the face of the ministry. I'm not the one who puts in the time. I'm not the one who does the work as hard as some of the people do. I call up leaders during the middle of the day, um, why they have a real job, and I say, hey, I need some help here, and they pick up their phone so graciously. And so I have so many leaders that do that in the room, volunteers who do that, so I just want to take a moment to honor them, because this is a big youth weekend for us. So if you are a youth leader, or if you're a volunteer, you come and do safety for us, because that's important just as much. I would like you to stand up right now. I don't know who's in the room, if there's anyone in the room. Are they all slacking? There we go. There we go. Stand up. We got a couple. There you go. You know, I can't do it without them. They, they, make, they make the job what it is, and they, make it, they, they give up their lives to invest in the youth and, and pour themselves into them, understanding, we have this, this belief in the youth ministry that the future is not tomorrow, that the youth are not the future of tomorrow, the youth are the future of now. Like, it's now. It's not, it's not tomorrow. It's not the next day. It's, they impact the world now. We get them into this discipleship process where they connect in a relationship with God, where they start to grow, and they start changing the world now. It's not later. And we can't, we can't wait on later. We can't hope for later. We work on now. And so we, as you can see, as we have a youth band up here, we get super excited about that. And them pouring their gifts out, letting God be glorified, letting God use them in such a powerful way. And then we also have, as you've seen, the greeting and the ushering teams out there. They're greeting you at the doors, um, doing their piece, because we know that everyone's got gifts. We have, we have also an AV team at our youth services, and when we do that. Um, and as you can see up here, I have a beautiful drawing. I mean, one of the things that we believe is we want, we want God to use your gifts in the youth ministry. We want to put them on full display. And so this is one of our youth. Her name's Micah Goings, and she drew this up. I gave her a canvas, um, and I just said, hey, I just want you to, like, whatever God's speaking, whatever God's doing, whatever comes to mind, I, I don't want to... 
I don't want to tailor it to anything at all. I want you to, I want you to come up with where God's moving. And this is what she drew. So she's got, if you can see this a little bit from a distance, this is a, this is the storm going on here. It's dark. It's, it's life. It's how life goes. And then all of a sudden she's, uh, this person's holding a, a Bible in their hand and you can see that the sea is calm. The sky is blue. And the power of that comes from spending time in the word and the presence of God. And so isn't that, give, give her a hand. Come on. And we understand that God has given us all different gifts. He's given us all things to glorify his name and to give him the praise and exalt him. And so we want to we take advantage of that in youth ministry and take each student that comes through the door and say, how has God gifted you? What's going on? And how can we give God the praise and give him the glory and let his name stand on high, but use you to do it? And so that's what we believe. That's what we're all about. We have made a huge transition to Sunday nights as a youth ministry. Um, we have seen a ton, ton of benefit, ton of great things come out of that already. So we go, we have a middle school that's 7th uh, and 8th grade from 4.30 to 6. And we have a high school from 6.30 to 8 on Sunday nights right here in this very room. And so we are super excited about it. We have lots of great events going on this summer. Um, if you're a youth and you're not plugged in or if you're a parent of a youth and you're, you're kind of interested in what's going on, I would encourage you to get them plugged in because we got some things going on. We are moving and shaking because of the youth that God has given us to shepherd in the youth ministry. And so we are, we are not looking back. We are putting a stake in the ground and we are going forward. So um, we believe the best is yet to come. And with that said, uh, like I said, been doing the youth ministry for uh, 10 months now. And uh, I, I transitioned in. I've been at Sunrise for almost three and a half years as a pastor. And so when I made the transition 10 months ago, I was like, oh, what could be different? You know, I'm the, I was the serve pastor. Now I'll just be the youth pastor. Like, I know how to lead people. I know how to shepherd people. I can do that. And that was a terrible thought. See, what I learned in the process is that God didn't pick me because I was the right person for the job, but God picked me because I was the right person to grow in that atmosphere. And so I was so excited about that because as I look back on the 10th month, 10 months of doing this, God has taken me on such a journey, such a, such a process of discovering who I am and how to fall in love with these students and who they are. And so it's just, it's, I've had to humble myself. I've had to come in and go, that was a dumb idea. And many times, and then also go, man, God is really growing that student. I can see it. I can see the sparks coming off. I can see the Holy Spirit getting in there. And so it's just super exciting. I I love it. I enjoy it. I embrace it every single day. And so one of the first series, because I didn't know what I was doing, that we officially did in the youth ministry was a series called Our Father. And we did this because, first off, I knew that if I was supposed to lead a bunch of students that had no idea what I was doing, that I was going to need the dependence. I was going to need full dependency on God. I was going to need to know what it meant to come to God in prayer and lean into him and trust him and go, where are you moving? Because that's where I want to go. And so we went into an Our Father series and just bro- broke down the Lord's Prayer for eight weeks and really talked about what it meant to pray to God. And we saw some really cool things happen. Um, so much so that uh, we're, we're, what's so great about it is what I, what I discovered most about it is that maybe the students didn't know how to pray. Sure, yeah, but I didn't know how to pray. <laughs> And so God was teaching me how to pray. God was doing that. And so we, have a, we as a youth ministry have grown in our prayer. We have grown in our walk. And it's awesome because, matter of fact, at the end of today, we're going to offer you an opportunity to respond to the message. And the youth team is going to be the team up here for you to pray over you. Because we're, we're growing. We're walking in this together. We're not, we're not alone. And so, um, like I said, you'll learn something from them when they pray for you. Um, I do. And so it's just a powerful experience. And so as we are, we are going to journey on the same 
series for the next six weeks. And so, and I'm not going to do you the disservice of preaching all the exact same messages because I've grown way too much since the first time I preached it to do that. And so I'm super excited about where we're going. This message has really been something that's coming from the core and the heart of what I believe God wants for us as a church, as Sunrise, and where we are at in our relationship with him. And so if you would uh, open up your Bibles to Matthew 6, um, it says in the, we have a, we have two different accounts of the Lord's Prayer in here. And if you don't, if it's your first time in church, um, I want to point something out to you is that Jesus Christ came, the Son of God came and walked this earth 2,000 years ago. And there's four accounts of his life that tell the story of his actual life on here. And it's, we consider those the Gospels. And so there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so today we're going to Matthew. And Matthew has an account of it, but so does Luke. When Luke tells about the Lord's Prayer, it's more of a how to pray, and Matthew's is more of a what to pray. And so this kind of be our driver for the series. I think when we open this up, you're going to see why and what's going on in here. So I'm going to read this to you, and we're going to read it together. So when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray... Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. And don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. So it says pray like this. And so as a church, I think it'd be really awesome this morning. If it's not about me necessarily doing this, but it would be about us. And so I'm going to bring us all in this together. I think it'd be so valuable and so important to us that we would ask God to come into this room. That we would ask him to reveal himself for who he is as the Father. And that we would pray him, praise him for who he is. And that's what the Lord's Prayer is all about, than asking for our needs. And so I'm going to put it up on the screen, the wall Bible. Um, and so you, you can, I'm going to say, let's pray this together as a church. Not just me, but us together. I'll start it and just say it together. Oh, man, so good. All right. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil. Amen. Amen. Uh, Man, such powerful words. Such powerful words. So if you kind of look at this, you're going to see that there's six petitions up there. When I talk about petitions, I'm talking about a request. I'm talking about something we go to God for. And that's how this Lord's Prayer is kind of set up, is that there's six petitions, six requests of God. And so I want you to throw them up on the screen for me there so we can kind of look at them. And I want you to really notice about these. The first three petitions have everything to do with God's desires and God's wants and his kingdom and what he's doing. Your, your, your. And then the last three have everything to do about us and our needs. Us, us, us. And so I don't know where you've been before in your prayer life. I don't know what it looks like. Maybe you've never prayed before. Maybe you've thrown some things off in the sky, it feels like. I don't know. Maybe you've been praying for a long time. But what I realized about my prayer life is typically... More than most of the time, (laughs) let's just be real, is that when I go to God in prayer, I got my prayer list, and I got all the things that I'm praying for. And most of those things have to do with us, us, us. And it's all about me. 
And it's all about what I need, and it's all about what I want, and it's nothing to do about what God needs, and what God wants, and where God's kingdom is. And so I get stuck on this idea that prayer is about me. And so when I go into prayer, and when I go to the Heavenly Father, and the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, and I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to Him, and all of a sudden I come up with my big long list, and I'm going to it before Him, and I've missed the most important point. It's about a relationship. I made it about me, but it's about a relationship. And so as you can kind of see that the structure is set up in a relationship. You, 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 us, us, us. That's convicting. Because what happens is when we go to God, we have anxiety and we have depression and we got things going wrong and the marriage is falling apart and the finances aren't there. And we go to God and everyone says, pray to God, pray to God, pray to God. And so we go and we pray to him and we start talking to him and we say, please help, please help, please help. And it's still about us and it's like we still feel anxious and we still feel depressed and we still feel like it's the end of the world when we leave prayer. And that's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to change us. It's supposed to make it about a relationship. And what happens, though, is God, Jesus is telling us, he's like, pray about my kingdom. Pray about the Father's kingdom. Pray about his will being done. Because when we start praying about his kingdom advancing, we start praying about him doing something powerful beyond our means. We start looking at this world as not a place to build a house but pitch a tent And we don't want to stay here forever because most of us are praying for now, for us, because it's about us. And we think this is our home and we think this is where we're going to be. But Jesus is like, no. You want to pray for eternity. You want to pray for God's will. You want to pray for the kingdom to be revealed. You don't want that because this is temporary. Everything's gone in the blink of an eye here. And so when you start praying with God's kingdom and God's will in mind, and then you get to your stuff, it puts your stuff in perspective with who God is. It starts putting everything in perspective, and all of a sudden you come into prayer, and you're praying for his kingdom, and you're praying for his will, and you're like, I don't know what that means necessarily, but I'm praying for it, God. And, and all of a sudden, then you start praying about your needs, and you realize that your marriage falling apart is actually very small. I'm sorry to say this, but it is very small in, the, in what God wants to do in this place. And where the cancer is not going to maybe be healed. I, it might heal. I don't know where God's at with it. But he is going to do what he's going to do. And it's so small because this isn't your home. And you may have relationships falling apart. And your son may have left and he's not coming back. But I'm not going to tell you that it's going to come out the way you want it to. I'm going to tell you that this is not our home. And that's hard to believe sometimes. When things are going right. But if you want to be changed in prayer and you really want a relationship with the Father and you want to go deep with Him, then you're going to start with Him in mind when you talk to Him. And you're going to go to Him. And you're going to say, I love you. I want your will to be done, not mine. Lord, I need you to deliver me from this temptation. It says He cares about our needs. He knows what we want before we even come to Him. Because it's about a relationship. And so as we kind of focus on the structure of this prayer and we see where it's going, we get to kind of this first petition today is where we're we're putting our attention. And uh, it says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And so what you need to understand about this is that um, when we focus on the idea of a name, we're talking about this idea that uh, it's not like today. 
today's names are kind of like, we just throw them up in the air, see if they stick on the wall. It's a good name, right? No, I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. It's more of an intentional process than that. Um, so, but with me, my parents named me Taylor, and I was like so mad. because like, how could you name me a girl's name when I was a young kid? I was like, how could you name me a girl's name? I was so upset with them. My brother Trevor got the good name. Tanner got the better name. I'm like, I got Taylor. And then Taylor Swift came. And it all got worse. And the problem is, I think she's older than me, so I can't say I beat her to it. But it's not like that in the biblical times. It's not like that at all. See, what it was like is you would actually give a name in biblical times to communicate something that was maybe not of known if you first met them. So it would communicate like an attribute, a characteristics of who they are and what the deep part of like who their identity is and kind of in a sense of, man, like Peter, he's the rock. That, that was to represent something that if you first met Peter, you might not know, but if you got to know him, you understood that Peter meant rock. It was an, just something you couldn't naturally grasp right off the get-go, that it actually meant something, an attribute, a personality, a characteristic of who he was. The word Isaac, the name Isaac meant Laughter. And so as we kind of see that and we understand that, we look at the names of God. And we understand that he has many different names. God is not God's name. God is a name that describes who he is. Because he's the alpha and he's the omega. He's everything encompassed. What's greater than God? Nothing. So that's why we call it God. That's why we call him God. But there's other names. There's the El Shaddai, the almighty God. That's how Abraham experienced God when his first encounter with him. He shows up in his life and he proves himself to be the almighty God. So therefore, Abraham has experienced a characteristic, an attribute of God, the almighty God, the powerful God. And then we go even further and we have the Jehovah Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. And all of a sudden, we, ha- we see in the Bible that people experience the Lord as their provider. Experience God as the provider in their life. It was an attribute of who God was. And the list goes on and on and on. And so when we look at the word holy, it means to exalt or to reveal. And so what we're praying here is we're saying, Lord, may the attributes of your name be revealed. May it be revealed. May you be revealed as the provider. May you be revealed as the healer. May you be revealed as the almighty God. May your name be revealed. And he likes to use us to do it typically. But may your name be revealed because only he can do it. But as, as we kind of look at the story, we got we to gotta go to the beginning. This beginning word is our father. Because that would be the word Abba as in Father. To say, may your name, the Father, be revealed. Because that's my prayer this morning. That's my prayer, is that the name Father would be revealed. It's kind of an intimate term. It's a very intimate term. Because Jesus comes along in this story, and he's, he's trying to show us how to see God as the Father. And when I think of the word Father... I think of how intimate and how endearing and how real it is. And I think of my father. I think of my dad. I think about all the memories. I think about all the moments. I think about all the things he taught me. I had a good dad. He was a man's man. He's the real deal. But what I remember most about my dad was what he left me 
with. And he's not gone. I'm just saying what he's, he's, he's passed on to me. And what that is, is um, it's, it's best told in the story, I feel like, in the sense of my dad, uh, he's a hardworking man. And he had a job when, probably when I was first born. He worked it for many years. And he left it when I was seven years old because this job would cause him to travel a bunch. He's making good money, which is important. But he was traveling a bunch. And so I, I don't really remember it. I don't really know how it went. But what I remember is my parents always telling me the why he left. And it spoke the most to me about who he was. And it was about how we were kind of growing up as kids. And we were getting to that point where we'd start remembering stuff. And he said, I didn't want to, I wanted to be around. I wanted to be there in my son's lives. I wanted to be present. And so my dad was that guy, you know, hadn't played an ounce of college baseball, hadn't, I don't even know if he played in high school, but you know, when I played baseball, that's where he was. He wasn't just, he wasn't just sitting on the sidelines. He was, he was the coach. He was actively engaging because he wanted to be where I was at. He wanted to be where I was. And so naturally, he followed me and my hobbies. But even more importantly than that, more importantly than that, he would take me with him on his hobbies because he wanted me to be where he was at. He wanted me to be with him. He wanted me to be with him. And so as I look at the word father and as I see the word father, I understand this idea that it's about this presence. Because that's the greatest gift that my dad gave me. But I also understand that the word father has a lot of stuff with it. For some of us in this room. That your stepfather, your biological father might not have been, or the one who kind of stepped in as the father, may have not been the best example of a father. They may have never been there. They may have left you. They may have never been around. There may have been abuse in the situation. There may be more than that in the situation. And therefore, you are hurt because that's how you see the Father. And you are well-deserved, well-deserved of that opinion. But the problem that happens with that is that we project these ideas onto our Heavenly Father. We project this idea onto our Heavenly Father that He's the same way. That men can't be trusted. And so we view him as this male figure, this father, and we're like, eh. And so therefore that keeps us from coming to the father. Because we don't understand him. And not even more than that, you could, we could even get to the point, maybe we have this great experience with the father, and that's fine, we could put all these great projections on him. But what I find myself more than likely doing in these situations is I find my own shortcomings, my own failures, my own things, where I have fallen short of the glory of God, and I have projected my lack of obedience onto the father as if he's judging me. And I, and I kind of feel like I can't come in. I don't know if I could go to church. I don't know if I'm worthy to go and pray. I don't even know if I'm worthy to stand up here and preach. And so therefore, I, I kind of, I, I projected so many things on him. And so it doesn't matter where you come from or where you're at in your relationship with God. But what I know typically more than not is we have projected so many false things about the Father onto the Father. But you know what Jesus comes to do is to help us replace those misinterpretations we have placed on the Father with the correct ones. And so Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. He comes down here. It's this crazy mystery we believe in that there's the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son. And together those three are one. 
and, and individually they are God at the same time. It's just crazy mystery. It's just crazy mystery. And so at one point in scripture, Jesus says, he says, the Father and I are one. And what he's saying by that, and what we can look at that and see is that God sent himself in flesh, in the form, to walk this earth 2,000 years ago, to live a life for 33 years on this planet. And as he lives that life, and as he encounters people, and as he loves people, and meets them right where he's at, he's showing us what the Father's like, because him and the Father are one. So he's showing us how to take all these ideas, all these misinterpretations of the Father, and replace them with more accurate ones. He's saying, this is what the kingdom's like. This is what the Father's like. Me and the Father are one. And so we all of a sudden can start seeing, as we read the Gospels and the accounts of Jesus' life on this planet, we actually get to see what the Father's truly like and what he believes and how he lives. But what I love most about Jesus is the story he tells. He tells us stories about the Father, stories about the kingdom. And one of the best stories I think he tells is found in Luke 15 with the prodigal son. And if you don't know, that's about a father. And it's about a father with two sons. And he has this youngest son, and the youngest son comes in to the father, and he has this conversation with him. He says, Dad, I want, I want half of what my, I want all of my full half of the inheritance. I want it all. And so the father gives it to him, and he says, here you go. And all of a sudden, a couple days later, the son takes off, and he goes, and he spends it all in wild living, it says. Thinking he's going to find something that he can pursue that's going to fill that purpose, that void in his heart. Thinking that there's something else out there that can fill that void, that can fill that itch. When the depression comes, when the anxiety comes, when the worry comes, when the bills are met, there's something I can run to that will fill that. There's something out there. And so that's what he does. He goes and he runs and he does all this wild living and all of a sudden, by the grace of God, the money runs out. And not only does the money run out, but a famine hits. And so then there's there's nothing. So he convinces a local farmer to come on, to to hire him on to feed the pigs. And so he he starts feeding the pigs. And as he's looking there, it's a famine, and he's going, man... That looks good. All this nasty slop and all this stuff. He's like, that looks good. That looks really good. I'm starving. And all of a sudden, he has an end of the rope moment. The end of, at the end of everything, he's tried his own way. He's got to this moment where nothing else works. And he goes, hang on a second. My father's hands, my father's farm hands, they had three square meals a day. They were fed just right. They're not sitting here starving. What am I doing? That's kind of what it looks like when we hit the end of the rope. We're like, what am I doing here? And so what does he do? He does what all of us do realize when we've wrecked just about everything else in our lives. We start coming up with these fancy apologies. It's like, I'm going I'm to go back to my father and I'm going to tell him, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against him, and I'm not worthy to be his son. So I'll come on as a farm hand. And so that's what we do. We come up with this clever apology for all the people we've hurt. We come up with this clever apology for God, and we're ready, and we're on our way, and we're coming. It says he's at a distance. He's far off away, and the Father sees him. And what I love about this is this tells you about the Father's heart. It's that he's looking for him, because if he's off at a long distance, he's got to look for him. He's got to see him on the horizon. He's got to be scanning that to see him out there. And so he's looking for that son. He's hoping this day comes. And so what does he do? 
He doesn't wait. The father pursues. The father runs to him, finds him, embraces him, hugs him, loves him, kisses him. And it's in that moment that the son's trying to rattle off this apology that he thought about. He's like trying to say all these words and get these things out. And it kind of reminds me how we come to the father in our prayers. Because we come to God with all these petitions and all these things that we want. And we keep doing it and doing it and driving it in and doing it. And all of a sudden we're not changed because it's not about a relationship. And it's the same thing here. He's got this apology. He's ready to rattle off this apology. But there's no relationship. Because the father just embraces him and hugs him. It says the father doesn't even listen. Because he's just glad that he's there. He's just glad that he's with him. That he can embrace him. That he can hug him. That he can love him. That he can be right there. That's all he cares about. That's all he wants. This is our heavenly father. The heavenly father did not make us because he needed us. He's God. He doesn't need us. He made us because he wanted to do life with us. Because he wanted to be in relationship with us. Our God is a relational God. He wants to be with you in his presence. That's all he wants. And that's what he's trying to teach this son of his. He's trying to teach him. He's trying to show him. He's trying to come after him. And all of a sudden... He says, he puts sandals on his feet, he puts clothes on him, he puts the family ring back on him, dops him back into the family. He comes right in, they kill the fattened calf, put it on, they start throwing a party for him. Because he was lost and now he's found. He's with God, he's with the Father, he's found. And then the story shifts. Story shifts. And there's this older son. And the older son comes in off the fields. He's been working. He stayed, remember? He didn't leave. He stayed. So he's coming off the fields, and he has no idea. He has no idea what's going on. Oblivious to the party, oblivious to the sounds, all of it. So then all of a sudden, he, like, he pulls a servant off the side. He's like, hey, what was, what's going on up there? He said, haven't you heard? Your younger brother returned. He's back. We're celebrating. We killed the fattened calf for him. And all of a sudden, <laughs> he's upset, just like the rest of us would be. He's upset because not only did that brother leave the father, but he left him. And that stung. And that fattened calf that he watched get fattened up, he watched that thing get fattened up. He watched that thing sit out in the pastures. He watched all of a sudden is being roasted for the brother. That stinks. And so then all of a sudden, just like any of us would do when we find that out, he's like, okay, I'm just going to go sulk. Poor me. And so what's the father do? What the father always does? He pursues. Because it says the father went to him and engaged the conversation. He says, son. And the son comes up with these words, and the son goes, I have served you. I stayed and I served you the entire time. I served you. And you never once threw a feast for me. And you know what the father's response is? He says, son, you don't understand. You're always, you're with me all the time. You're with me all the time. 
See, when the son uses the word serve here, when he's saying, I've served you, it's actually the root of that word meant that he was a servant, that he was serving him, that he was a slave to the father. And the problem is, is that the father has come to fix what we think it should look like. Because he's saying, I've served you, I've put in the time, and that's like most of us when we're like, I come to church, I serve on the greeting team, I've parked cars. I'm reading my Bible the best I can. I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to live this life out. And it starts to become all about us. What we can do for the Father, and the Father's like, you don't understand. There's nothing you could do. You don't understand. You've always been with me. Because it's about being with me. It's about being in my presence. It's about embracing me and loving me and cherishing me for who I am. Not about what you can do. Not about what you can try to cough up and call good and righteous. It's about what the Father has done for you. It's about what he wants for you. He's done it all. He paid the price. And we keep trying to think we can earn it. We keep thinking we're going to somehow make it, that we're going to make it happen. When he's like, just be with me. Be in my presence. Love me. Embrace me for him. Stop doing. Stop trying. Stop making it about what you want to do and being busy. It's about being with me. But that's not who we are. Because we're either running the other way when given the chance to sin or we're... But we're trying to earn it. And God keeps trying to break this misconception. The father's trying to say, he's like, you don't understand. I'm not like any father you've ever had. I'm not like any father figure. I'm not like any human on this planet. I am your father and the father loves regardless. Because you know what? There was a time. There was a time when we couldn't go to God. There was a time when we didn't have direct access into his presence. There was a time And Adam and Eve, at the very beginning of the story, they eat the fruit. And all of a sudden, sin enters into the picture. And all of a sudden, it creates this divide between us and the Father. It creates this thing that we can't directly go to Him. We can't directly seek Him. Because our sinful nature sits in the way. Our imperfectness is in the way. And so we go through the Old Testament, and there's stories about sacrifice and slaughtering and all these things to provide the sacrifice for our sins to make us so we can go to God and be in His presence but it never worked. It would never work because we're sin and we're going to do it again, which means we're just going to sit there and slaughter and slaughter and put sacrifices up. And then it's going to stop becoming a relationship to get to God. It's going to become a ritual. And so he says, I got, I got a solution. I love you so much. I love you so stinking much. I won't even hold my own son back. So I'm sending him because that's what the father does. I'm sending my son And my son is going to go, and he's going to show you what I'm like. But most importantly, he's going to go to the cross, and he's going to die for the sins of the world. He's going to die for your past sins that you can't get rid of. He's going to die for your current ones. He's going to die for the ones you don't even know you're going to make. That's what he's going to do. And when he dies on that cross, that blood is going to become real, and he's going to go to the depths of hell, and then three days later, he will rise up. And it's because of them rising that we understand that eternity is with us. That there's nothing that separates us. That even when these bodies pass, that our presence with God does not end there. Our presence starts when we surrender to the blood. When we believe it's real. When we surrender to Jesus' death and confess that with our mouths and believe it in our heart. That's the moment that our eternity starts. 
And then it goes beyond when our body fails us because we are going to eternity. We ain't building houses, we're pitching tents. And so some of us in here, we need that. We have never had a moment where we've believed in Jesus' death. We have never claimed that. We have never believed it. It says in Scripture that if you want to be saved, if you want etern- eternity, if that's what you want to experience, if you want to experience that with the Father, if you want to come beyond, beyond this idea that sin has separated you from God, you need to believe in the blood. You have to surrender your life to Jesus Christ if you want that presence. Because otherwise your sin is always going to hold you back. And it's going to sit there and it's going to be this divide in between you and God when he's saying, I want you. I want you. And he's running from a long ways off at you. And so it says in scripture in Romans 10, 9, it says you need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart to be saved. That's all you have to do. You don't have to earn anything. You don't got to do nothing. If you're coming back, you've been a long ways off, you're coming back, all you have to do is, and it takes faith to believe in the fact that there is a guy, his name was Jesus Christ, his, he was God, he was fully God, but he was fully human. It takes faith to believe that he walked this planet 2,000 years ago, and then he went to the cross for you. It's like, what? It's like, that takes faith. And so to say those words is going to take a lot of power, but if God is calling you to it, then you got to go through with it. So I want to give you the opportunity. I'm going to invite the youth worship team back up on the stage. Come on up. I want, to, I want two responses today. I want two because some of it's for us who have never claimed that blood is real. And some of us need to help ourselves correct our misinterpretation of who the Father is. And so I want to give you two opportunities. The first prayer is going to be for those of you that say, hey, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I've never done that before. And so I want to give you that opportunity. And then the second one is going to be for those of us in the room, and I will raise my hand as well because I, even with a good father, even with lots of great things from my dad, I have thrown my my misinterpretations onto the father. And for those of us who need Jesus to set us right, to help remind us of who the father is, we need the father to help remind us. We're going to shoot up our hands on that one too for those of you in the room that need that. Because I believe that something happens. You know, I, I raise my hands in worship, you know, not all the time, but sometimes. And the reason I do that is because it reminds me that my physical stature is a posture of where my heart's at. And I need to do that. Because there's times where I'm just like, now nah, I'll keep my hands in my pocket. I'm scared. And maybe I think about what the people around me think. I don't know. But I remember that when I do this, it's just, it's my surrender. It's my surrender to who the Father is. It's reminding me that, man, it's like as I reach up, he reaches down. He's trying to grab me up. He's trying to take me. And we need that. You need to be embraced by the Father. You need that hug. You need that kiss. You need that that family ring gets put back on your finger when you surrender. You need that. I don't know if this is uh, if this is kind of what life looks like right now. Maybe this is where life looks like. Stormy. Things are falling apart. Relationships aren't going well. The di- diagnosis came in. I don't know where you're at. But there's a Father in heaven that does. And what I love about this picture is that it shows what happened. You don't see 
God's face on here. Just his presence. Just his presence. Things can be falling apart around you. Things can be going sideways. Things can be terrible. Things can be, I don't know how, you're like, you're still trying to take the five-year plan. You're like, this is not working the way I want. It's in the presence of the Father. When you open up that word, when you spend time with God, but it's beyond that. How many times can you think about God in the day? How many times can you consciously think about the Father embracing you? So I want to invite you in. We're going to, um, I'm going to ask you bow your heads and close your eyes because some people need a moment with just the Father. And so if there's some of you in the room today that you're like, I have never surrendered to the blood of Jesus. I have never given my life to Jesus. I have never believed in it to be real. Then this is your moment. And so I want you to repeat these words after me. Saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I am imperfect as they come. And there's nothing I can do to make it right. But I need a savior. So, Lord, I believe in your death. I believe you went to the cross for my sins, past, present, and future. And I believe that you rose again three days later after you went to the depths of hell for me. Lord, I need you, and I believe in you with everything I have. Amen. It's the first prayer. If you said that prayer... Eyes closed, heads bowed, please. A moment with the Father. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands up. Just trust that. Just trust that. That's where you're at. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you for just showing your posture, what's going on inside of you. And then I want to offer another prayer for some of us in here today. And this one, I will raise my hand. But if you need Jesus to come in and help rework your idea of who the Father is. If you know you need more presence of the Father, I want you to raise your hands right now. If you need more of that, church all the way around. This is all of us here. Don't be afraid of what those around you think. This is eyes closed, heads bowed. This is us reaching up and saying, Father, I need you. I need a Father. I need a Father. Man, this is beautiful church. You can put your hands down. Thank you. So, Lord, we come before you. And we thank you for who you are. We thank you for being our Father. We thank you for being our Savior and sending your Son. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for embracing us, Lord. May we exalt your name. Maybe we show people how you're the provider. Maybe we show people how you're the healer. Maybe, maybe you help use us to reveal that you are the God Almighty, Lord. I don't know where it's at, but all I know is that it starts with us looking at you as the Father. We need more of that, God. Let us be in your presence. Let us be with you. In Jesus' name, amen.